What up, AOTA family? Welcome to Passing Period and All of the Above Podcast Extra. As you know, we like to drop these in between our full episodes, our full episodes, video format. We just dropped one, actually, uh, less than a week ago, featuring our super dope guest, Jason torres Hell, California Teacher of the Year. So those full episodes, a lot in there. We uh, also talked about, what did we talk about on that episode? We talked about emergency grants for college students. We talked about the Government Accountability Office and their thoughts about the Department of Education's plan, so-called plan, maybe not plan, to address the teacher shortage. And we shouted out some students for a walkout here in Temecula or nearby in Temecula. Those full episodes have a lot going on, a lot in there. So it takes some time to edit those down. So in between those full episodes, we drop these passing periods where it's just Jeff and myself. My name is Manuel Rustin, your favorite teacher's favorite teacher. And this passing period here, well, Jeff, let me, let me, you know, when we talk about, we like to talk about education and justice and, and fighting for a better tomorrow, uh, a more humanizing school system for all. And those of us here in the AOTA family are very committed to the struggle. And then there are those who take a time out from the struggle and go on long vacations <laughs> and flee overseas to, to, to be in paradise while the rest of us fight for justice. And because of that, um, it might be a minute till the next passing period. I don't know, man. I don't know, Jeff. I don't, I don't, I don't know. You know, I'm, I'm questioning your commitment to the fight, Jeff. You are supposed to grind all day, every day, <laughs> nonstop. Uh, yes, exactly. Um, like, like a good little capitalist should, uh, I suppose. Uh, <laughs> no, I, as folks know, I am on sabbatical at the moment. Yes, that's a wild word that uh, come, just I feel so deeply privileged to be able to enjoy um, at the moment. And uh, I decided I need to get up out of these United States of America and see uh, somewhere else around the world and get a stamp on my passport. So I have not left the country in almost 10 years, Manuel. Oh, wow. And so uh, I know. So it's been a long time for me. So it's, it's uh, I mean, I've traveled a lot within the United States, but I should say, but uh, I've not left the land of the free, home of the brave, as they say. Um so yes, I will be. I will be traveling if all goes well, Manuel. If all goes well, uh, we may be able, uh, despite a very large time gap, <laughs> to record a passing <laughs> period and bring to the people the very first international version of uh, of all the above. So um, you know, stay tuned for that. If there's an asterisk there, because you know. I don't know exactly what to expect in terms of Wi-Fi strength, where I'm going. And, uh, you know, this assumes that everything is like cool and calm and all is well on my travels. And so, uh, you know, don't hold us to it, but um, we're going to we're going to try and see what we can do. Yeah, no pressure. I mean, absolutely. Take that time. Take that vacation. Take that um, that break from the grind over here in the United States to just, you know, do what you got to do, Jeff. We definitely, um, you know, no pressure to hop on a passing period. If, if we have one coming at you, folks, um, obviously, it'll be a dope one and it'll be an international one. But, you know, if you don't see any new uh, AOTA episodes or podcast or passing periods uh, popping up in your podcast feed over the next couple of weeks, you know why. You know why. So, yeah. So, so. I hope you enjoy your, your travels, Jeff. They are very well deserved. Um, I hope you get everything that you need out of it. And hopefully when you return, you will be uh, feel a spirit of renewal and feel refreshed. And I suppose 
ready to keep fighting the good fight, which is what we do here on All the Above as we have these discussions with uh, various folks in the education world and all that good stuff. And people, um, if we don't have another passing period anytime soon, um, do know that we have almost 100 full episodes and some of those episodes had more than one guest. So we've got like over 100 super dope guests for you to listen to if you Dig through the crates. You can hit up aotashow.com. A lot of those conversations that we had, even, you know, a lot of the conversations that we had before the pandemic, I keep finding myself going back to as I encounter, uh, you know, changes and new elements in in my educational experience. And, um, you know, I definitely, definitely recommend folks, especially those of you who might be new to all the above, uh, to go back to some of those conversations because they are evergreen as we continue to fight for a better education system for all. So definitely there's that. All right, Jeff. Well, yeah, man. Hey, yeah, hey, one, uh, one quick shout out I want to give as you were uh, accusing me of um, abandoning the struggle for justice uh, <laughs> also eloquently a moment ago. You were making me think of, I, since it is Black History Month, I'm going to give a quick uh, book or books recommendation to our audience. If you have never read uh, anything by uh, the great Randall Robinson, I'm going to encourage folks to do so. Uh, his um, seminal text, The Debt, um, and it has like a subheading, which I don't have my bookshelf in front of me at the moment, but it's like The Debt, um, the the like true history of what America owes to blacks, uh, something like that. And uh, it's, a, it's just a powerful case about reparations. He also has a book, it might have been his last book, called Quitting America, which <laughs> he, he bounced and moved to St. Kitts. And Nevis, I think. And um, I don't know if you say you moved to St. Kitts and Nevis or if you moved either to St. Kitts or to Nevis. Uh, but um, he lives there. And uh, at least last I was aware, he lived there and was like, yo, this country's wild. I'm out, yo. <laughs> like He was like, I'll continue to struggle <laughs> from a, you know, a country full of black people. Um, and I was like, I don't know that I'm prepared to do that myself, but... Um, I understand the motivation, Manuel. Understand for sure. Jeff, that better not be a foreshadowing of you not coming back from your trip and you being like, you know what? I'm going to just stay. I'm going to just stay. <laughs> no, it's funny. Everyone I everyone who talks to me about the sabbatical has been like, so is this like your exit strategy? Like you on the move? Like, you, like what's saying. going on? I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm, it is not. If You know, I, I am not. You know, if some glorious, perfect thing fell into my lap right now, uh, if someone wants to pay me a million dollars to uh, do very little work and, uh, <laughs> and and not have to move, like okay, I'll I'll listen to the offer. Um, no, I, in all seriousness, I am not uh, neither leaving all the above as long as Manuel will have me. Uh, nor uh, am I leaving my various jobs. Uh, you know, I am just taking a break, which is such an unusual, un-American thing to do that people assume that it must come with like an ulterior motive or like yeah. some other agenda. Because like, <laughs> when else do people actually take breaks in this world? You know, or at least I shouldn't say this world because there's lots yeah. of people who take breaks in the world. But uh, here, here in America. Uh, where we don't believe in recreation and uh, not recreation, we don't believe in uh, rest and rejuvenation. Uh, right. It's it's just like a foreign concept to people. Yeah, it's like wait, what? Did did something happen? What what? 
what's going on? Yeah, Are you going no. through something? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing happened. No scandals. Uh, <laughs> not planning an exit. Just taking a break. <laughs> there we have it. There we have it. All right. Yeah. Well, Jeff, um, before you um, head over to LAX, which is a very wonderful airport that I'm sure everybody enjoys, nice, smooth transition <laughs> through, um, it is still it is still Black History Month. And, you know, uh, it used to be, I remember as a kid, folks would be like, oh, you know, we would have the shortest month of the year for Black History Month. Of course, like black people get the shortest month of the year. That's not whatever, you know, notwithstanding the actual history of Black History Month and why it's in February. But um, it it starting to feel like it's longer and longer each year as we have more and more shenanigans and nonsense during Black History Month. It gets to the point where I get to, I get to thinking I can't wait for Black History Month to be over because every day it's more headlines and shenanigans about some nonsense happening somewhere with respect to Black History Month. So Jeff, um, maybe we start today's passing period by checking in with the Black History Month shenanigans. And I think we have something uh, coming out of Alabama related to students being able to celebrate Black History Month. What we got, man? What we got? Yeah. Yeah, man. So uh, some folks might have seen a, a headline um, popping around. I, I first caught this on Twitter uh, through the coverage of the local Birmingham CBS affiliate, CBS 42. Shout out to you. Um, which reported on some true shenanigans, Manuel, coming out of the Tuscaloosa County, Alabama school system. Uh, specifically Hillcrest High School in Tuscaloosa County. Now, for those who aren't that familiar with Alabama geography, um, most of you are probably aware of the University of Alabama, which is in the city of Tuscaloosa. Um, it's a, you know, college town, uh, kind of like a, I don't know what the California equivalent would really be, but like a, you know, like an Ann Arbor or a Champaign, Illinois, you know, it's a small uh, college city with a big school in it. Um, so Tuscaloosa County, Alabama, Hillcrest High School, um, experienced, uh, last week a walkout, um, with, uh, over 200 students walking out, uh, in protest following a controversy involving the plans for the school's Black History Month program. Uh, now the students claimed that the school administration told them that their, um, program could not reference anything that happened before the 1970s, including slavery, the Black Panthers, or the Civil Rights Movement. Now, in fairness, Manuel, the school district denied those accusations. They did not, to my knowledge, or from what I've seen, come out with, uh, any public declaration of like, here's what we did tell the kids <laughs> that got them <laughs> upset. They got the local NAACP calling this, you know, shocking and embarrassing and traumatizing uh, to some of the kids. Uh, they just said, you know, your sort of typical PR statements, um, you know, which hopefully is true that like they care about the students and they respect the students' right to protest and, you know, these sorts of things. Um, so, you know, like, Let's be, I'm just going to keep it 100 right here with you, Manuel. Um, I most definitely believe what the students are, are saying in this equation, knowing what we know about what's happening, particularly in, in the more right-wing states across this country, particularly in the former Confederacy uh, in this country, which is an outright war on the, the teaching of truth and the, um, you know, the very notion of engaging in discourse about 
the like really messed up aspects of American history and things that might, for example, make white students feel uncomfortable um, or make any students feel uncomfortable. Let's be real. That might make white parents and elders uncomfortable on behalf of their white children um, because, you know what, I don't know, they're going to see pictures of grandma uh, shouting at black kids trying to get into school or grandpa, as it may be. Um, so, you know, I, I feel like, man, well, the message here is like, first of all, big props to these 200 young people, um, for, for using the power that they have in the moment to say, hell no, like, we're not going to put up with this. Like, I, you know, this is bad enough that they're whitewashing the curriculum in general, but now you want to tell us in a black history month program that we can't speak about anything before 1970. I don't, you know, this, this man, well, is why... I believe the kids in this situation because I'm like, where where did that phrase yeah. come up? Like I, <laughs> like e you know, even if they misinterpreted a little bit what the administration said, like you could tell that the impetus of the message to the students was, don't talk about anything. You know, talk about like Kamala Harris is the first black vice president and talk about, you know, yeah. uh, the, the Rainbow Coalition and Jesse Jackson running for president and, you know, 1988 or I'm sorry if I'm getting my years wrong here. But, you know, like talk about yeah. the all, all the black firsts of the modern talk about Oprah is a billionaire and Jay-Z and Beyonce have lots of money and, you know, all the Obama, yeah. like talk about the stuff that makes no one feel any sort of like accountability historically um and i i fully believe that that's however it looked that is the message that is, was sent to the kids in the community and this is the byproduct of the very dangerous fascist white supremacist you know work that is afoot in this country right now so shout out to the kids props to you i hope we see more actions like this frankly from young people and communities gathering together to say hell no we're not going to take your lies and your manipulation of history yeah no nah, shout out to the kids for sure you know our, our our recent full episode our class dismissed we're shouting out those kids down in temecula who uh walked out after their school board passed a ban on critical race theory here in California, school board banning critical race theory. So the students walked out. Uh, shout out to students across the nation who whose response to the shenanigans is to show their power and show their might by staging these walkouts and, and taking it to the news and, and putting their schools and, and districts on blast for, for what they're trying to do. Like, yeah, certainly, you know, maybe the school didn't like officially in writing tell them to to keep everything before the 70s out of it and do this and that but i could totally envision i could totally envision some administrator some club advisor somebody saying like you know uh you know let's just let's just avoid some of this and some of that because you know we want we want to just make sure everybody feels comfortable and 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 what have you definitely some kind of message got sent that the students uh, I believe them in interpreting that message as like, you know, we we will allow you to celebrate black history as long as you do it our way. And our way is, of course, a whitewashed way. And the students are like, yeah, damn that. We're taking, we're taking it outside. We're taking it to the streets and putting you on blast. I hadn't heard of the school system. Now I know about the school system because the students put it on blast for the shenanigans. And I think that's a very important step or very important um, option for folks in, in the fight for or in the in resistance to these uh, shenanigans. And also, there was the option. There was the option of saying, okay, if we can't touch anything before the 70s, our Black History Month program, we're going to go full, full on 
NWA, Public Enemy, Sister Soldier, like all that, you know, that's, a, you know, that's, that would have been probably what, where I would have leaned. I was like, okay, we're going to have a full NWA program and we're going to show excerpts of Sister Soldier putting folks on blast and um, we're going to do all that stuff. Cause it's not like, it's not like everything after the seventies is, is uh, palatable for sure, for sure. So yeah, shout out to the kids for taking the, I suppose, I don't, I don't know what you would call it. I mean, walkouts are, are certainly the nice, peaceful and strong visual uh, impact approach and good for them for doing that. And shout out to the students in Tuscaloosa schools who are, I can only imagine what happens inside the classroom if students are being hit with these kind of restrictions for a Black History Month program. I could imagine what's happening in their actual history classes or, you know, English classes and what have you. So shout out to all of them. I don't, I don't really have much more to say besides like, you know, the kids are better than than um, a lot of a lot of the adults in the school systems. So, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Now, I think when we think about this situation, Manuel, like I believe the students and I think a generous interpretation of the situation would be like, well, maybe the students mildly misinterpreted a directive that's probably still problematic from the administration, but like there might have been some miscommunication. Maybe it wasn't quite as bad as the students thought. Let's give them the benefit of the doubt and say that, okay, that's what happened, right? Even if we give them an unearned benefit of the doubt in Tuscaloosa County, Alabama, in these racist United Confederate States of America, okay? Uh, then that kind of leaves us with like one of two possible scenarios, right? One scenario is like actually the administration and the powers that be in this situation wanted to have this sort of chilling, suppressing effect on the curriculum in the, in the grandest sense, right? Even though this isn't the books and the, the documents being taught in class, this is the discourse about culture and history in uh, specifically through a black lens in school, right? And it's having the chilling effect that these, you know, the Ron DeSantis of the world want to have, right? Which is messed up, super deeply problematic. Or as the student said, there's like a particular administrator who felt uncomfortable with the, you know, the discussion of civil rights and slavery in the Black History Month program. Um, and there's an administrator, you can, be, you can be sure that that one administrator isn't the only voice of educators in the building who are, who are literally like uncomfortable talking about these basic facts of American history. And because of that, are doing something that just literally makes no educational sense whatsoever, even setting aside the deep offensiveness of it, right? Like to have a Black History Month program that doesn't talk about these things is, is, is like illogical, right? Like it, it's like having a, a chemistry class and not talking about the periodic table and, and, and like bonds and, you know, like, like it's this, this is, these are, these are two of the most important elements of black history in this country, right? Um, and so, you know, it's like no matter how you look at this, it's real messed up. That's a good way to put it. No matter how you look at this, it's real messed up. And obviously that's part of the ongoing conversation about the chilling effect that all of this is having on the teaching, on the learning, on what students are, what messages students are receiving when it comes to cultural celebrations and what have you. I remember maybe it was last year, maybe it was the year before that, uh, February Black History Month uh, shenanigans in Utah, where some district was allowing uh, parents to opt their kids out of the Black History Month 
uh, programming, whatever um, it even was. So yeah, always something. And I've reached a point in my life where I'm just kind of like, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm cool with Black History Month um, officially being over. Because for one, Black History is every day. Um, black History is American history. And also, um, it's clear, it's clear a lot of people are either quite uncomfortable or just don't know how to celebrate black folks or let black folks celebrate um, without tossing some craziness. And that's, you know, in my head right now, I'm seeing the visual of that police car that had the Celebrate Black History Month um, art on it. And yeah, man, a couple, couple more weeks left and then we're in the clear, except we're not because this is all ongoing. Well, Jeff, you know, we talked about the College Board the last couple episodes. I don't really want to spend too much more time talking about them more, but it should just be noted that the College Board disputes disputes the order of events in, in Florida's claim that Florida was in, ta- in contact with them about the content of AP African American Studies and that um, Florida had a significant role in it. The College Board is trying to do some damage control. I honestly don't think it's worth um, giving them much more airtime right now. They showed their cards. They did what they did. I think it's too late for damage control. Their response to Florida is hella late because like the Florida stuff hit like four, like a month ago at this point, And they're just now publishing like official statements in response, which is just like, come on, man. Like, I don't know how um, billion dollar quote unquote nonprofits tend to operate, but I know if I ran one and somebody came out um, and smeared, besmirched my name, I would immediately respond. I wouldn't wait a month to come out and be like, wait, actually, you didn't have any impact on our, our stuff is good stuff. So there was that story. And we could definitely, you know, link the college board's response under this, under this uh, passing period for those who want to read the college board's little letter with um, their, their claims about the timeline and what have you. And frankly, it doesn't matter if Florida, I think we said this last week, it doesn't matter if Florida Department of Ed were directly the reason why the content got watered down or if it just got watered down because it's the college board and they water stuff down because um, they are far, far from um, being a champion of equity and justice. And for sure, they were trying to appease conservative voices above and beyond the Florida folks. So so there's that, Jeff. If if it's all right with you, I'd like to jump to this other story uh, from the Associated Press about school enrollment and missing students. But I'll definitely, you know, if you if you if you have anything you want to say to the college board before you dip overseas, by all means, floor yeah. is yours. Well, if I if I could very briefly, Manuel, because I feel you on the time. Uh, for, here here's what I'll just say: the letter that the college board released this week was trash. It was whacked, uh, and those are technical terms I'm, I'm using. Uh, it, it was empty, you know, distraction. Right. Uh, fighting over timeline and stuff with with who did what when. Um, what I did find fascinating in their response, which I actually looked into more deeply, was their their insistence on this statement, Manuel, that, um, you know, their changes to the curriculum are based in um, their reliance on their, quote, AP principles. Um, which makes it abundantly clear that they stand against censorship and indoctrination. Um, and these principles, if you look at them, Manuel, like they're pretty good, actually, 
right? Um, you know, clarity and transparency, an unflinching encounter with evidence, opposing censorship, opposing indoctrination. Um, and it goes on, right? Like, if they actually did these things, I'd be like, word, nice, that's cool. And I imagine in many other elements of the curriculum, they at least are aspiring to embody these things. When you look at a black studies curriculum and you take out all the stuff that the fascist right, white supremacist wing of American politics doesn't like, you are most certainly choosing to indoctrinate <laughs> on, a, on that side of the equation. Um, you are censoring voices, important voices, and, and then elevating when nobody asked you to black conservatism for example, okay? Because ain't nobody asked them to elevate Clarence Thomas's voice in the Black Studies curriculum, okay? Like, guaranteed, nobody was there like, we must read more Thomas dissenting opinions, you know, or his listen to his silence in the courtroom as he lets, you know, Scalia talk for him. Uh, so all I got to say, Manuel, is like, their response was whack. Um, it did nothing to actually address the situation. It further proves that they have thrown in their lot with the white supremacist elements of American politics, and it should scare us all in terms of their oversight of such a large swath of advanced high school curriculum um, in this country. And I think all the things we talked about last time, um, we should consider continue to consider all of those things as responses uh, to the college board, as responses to how we engage or not in this curriculum. And um, I personally would not have my child take that class. Boom. I definitely, well, I don't have a child who would be taking APs because if I did have a child around here in Los Angeles with so many vibrant community colleges, I believe I would have that student enroll in community college courses to get more bang for their buck and get a, a type of education that more closely resembles what college courses are like versus a end of course exam teach to the test model. But that's neither here nor there. I could definitely go on about the college board and AP testing, but college board, yeah, um, it's a wrap. It's a wrap. All right, Jeff, there's a big story that came out this week. Um, some reporting from the Associated Press. So, you know, when an education headline makes it to the Associated Press, you know, that's, that's kind of a big deal. One reason why we started this show is because education is too often relegated to like the back pages of anything if, you know, if discussed at all in terms of within, you know, so-called mainstream media. And this story here, um, to me, echoed a lot of the, some of the learning loss fears or a lot of the learning loss fears, but a lot of the just concern about the changes in enrollment since the pandemic or throughout the pandemic. So uh, let's touch on that, Jeff. What is the Associated Press in conjunction with um, some other folks who I don't remember off the top of my head? Um, what are they reporting on this week with regards to public school enrollment and missing, missing kids? Yeah, man. So um, the other folks that you were alluding to, it was the Associated Press, uh, Stanford University's Big Local News Project, and Stanford Education Professor Thomas D. Uh, together informed this AP story. Um, they found an estimated 230,000 students in 21 states 
whose absences could not be accounted for. Um, essentially meaning those students didn't move out of state, they didn't sign up for private school or homeschool, um, according to publicly available data. And so, as they say in the article, in short, these kids are just missing. Um, now, I think it is important to note here in another story that came out this week um, from The Conversation, uh, which was uh, authored by Thomas D., um, I think it points out that there's there are parallel estimates of the total number of uh, of student enrollment drops in public school during the pandemic and puts that number at 1.2 million. So um, this study that we're going to be talking about specifically here looked at publicly available data from just 21 states. So obviously there's a bunch of states, you know, not included there. And from that publicly available data, they found 230,000 students who are quote unquote missing. Now, because of how math works, we can assume <laughs> that the actual number is much larger than, than 230,000 if you account for the other, how, ma how many states is that? 29 other states, right? Um, so just, just an important uh, kind of asterisk there. Um, so quick, like sort of further breakdown of the data. Um, the, uh, of the, the total number of students in these 21 states, enrollment fell by about 700,000. So that's, you know, the majority of the estimated 1.2 million nationally. Um, and this is comparing 2019-20 school data to 21-22 school data. So last year. So it's like that year that got interrupted by the pandemic to last school year. Um, so of that 700,000 students, about 103,000 of those students enrolled in public schools, okay? Private. Um, about 184,000. Um, I'm sorry, yes, did I, what did I say? Public? Yeah. Okay, my bad. Yes, thank you. For, thanks for catching that. Yes, private schools, uh, about 184,000 uh, switched to homeschooling, uh, which is kind of fascinating to think about. And then um, about 183,000 um, moved out of state um, and, you know, uh, with birth rates declining, like the population of school age kids in states fell by about 183,000 during this time. So that leaves 230,000 kids that we just like can't find. OK, um, I have not seen either in this piece or nationally. Uh, and, you know, maybe we just missed something that well, but like any real definitive data about like, so what actually happened with those kids. But there is some really interesting reporting done in this piece where they follow a young um, student who was in Cambridge, Massachusetts and kind of, you know, a little bit marginalized in her school community and basically just sort of dropped out, moved to North Carolina, finished, uh, you know, like a G GED type of, um, you know, examination and is now like working down there. Right. And so they also tell stories of kids who like, you know, uh, a kid whose dad lost his restaurant job. And so the kid had to go to work and, you know, help provide for the family and just and now is like 21 and could technically still go to high school. But I'm 21. Do I really want to go back to high school. Plus, I still got to work. Right. And I think you and I and many educators across the country know that there were lots of kids, particularly in the high school level 
who fell into those kinds of situations, right? Where like yeah. being a little on the margins already, you were like all of a sudden far on the margins and like couldn't make school work, right? Or you had a certain type of special need and the, the especially the beginning of Zoom school, which was complete trash, like, uh, <laughs> you know, we didn't, educators were trying to figure out what to do yeah. and like, you know, it was just rough, right? And we didn't have, we have, you know, huge equity gaps and home internet access and all, you know, all kinds of, challenges right they're like we just lost a lot of kids during that time and yet man well there's maybe still big questions here about like so who like what got in the way of all these kids and what does that mean um for us as a system right now so you know fascinating data fascinating questions raised here maybe more questions than answers um, but as as a you know a teacher who I'm sure vividly remembers uh, <laughs> you know lots of of this in your life as a teacher your favorite school year ever I think you might have called it because um, <laughs> you didn't have to work of, of course because of school was closed right right very well uh, <laughs> yep uh, I got I didn't have to work man uh, yeah, I could I, just sit back and read <laughs> uh, read some marks and uh, you know. <laughs> Get my woke on. Uh, and just give participation trophies with your wokeness. Yes, yes. indeed. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, but I am really curious. Your your take about this since you were like on the front lines and I'm sure probably yeah. saw some of these kids or maybe didn't see some of these kids who just disappeared uh, during that period of time. Yeah, this is a tough one right here. Tough partially because I don't like reliving that time. It was such a hard time to be a teacher. I guess, I mean, it was such a hard time to be a human, obviously, uh, when the world fell apart during COVID and everything shifted to online. It was extremely tough. Um, But this is tough because it does raise more questions than answers. And I am a little worried about some of the framing around this discussion. So the obviously the, the biggest question is like, you know, where are the kids? Where are the kids? And because of that, everybody with their own different lens on things and their own different agendas could kind of point to this to support whatever the hell their, you know, agenda might be. So, you know, folks who point to this who are, you know, folks who are big time proponents of like homeschooling and, and um, you know, dismantling the public school system, this is something that, you know, someone could point to and say, see, see, parents are, are fed up. The school system, you know, they're pulling them out, they're putting them in whole school, homeschool, private school, whatever. And, you know, they could point to this as, you know, and fodder for that conversation or folks like ourselves and people we've had on, on all of the above who have long uh, criticized the school system for failing to meet the needs of our most marginalized populations. Uh, this story, you know, highlights what that looks like you know the the students that they profiled in this story who simply were not served um period uh by their schools during the pandemic or even before the pandemic and you know this highlights the the problems the the inequities within the school system so there's that or folks who you know are on that real political you know woke teachers nonsense could say like see parents are fed up with the wokeness of of schools and they're you know so this is just something that because we don't have answers it's wide open and everybody sees those numbers and hears about these missing kids and it sort of sets off alarms and i don't know how i feel about even referring to these students as missing students because that kind of framing you know the the ap story the the visual layout is like really nice they have a nice visual graphic of you know um what the data shows about where students went and what have you but at the top it's like these images of kids like like the sorts of images you will see on like uh 
uh, milk cartons for like, you know, have, have you seen this child? And it's like a whole bunch of those. Mm. And, and we're not talking about kids like disappearing from like civilization and like, are they kidnapped? Are they being held somewhere in a basement? <laughs> you know, that's not what we're yeah. talking. We're talking yeah. about kids who, uh, perhaps maybe we don't know because the data is still so unclear, but like stopped attending school, you know, or transferred in such a way that that transfer didn't show up in the data. So we're not talking about, you know, these, these, uh, hordes of kids roaming around cities who like, you know, went missing from school systems. So that's, you know, that's sort of, but, but, you know, I get it. I get it. Like the draw, the, I get what that does emotionally when you see a headline about like millions of missing kids or, you know, hundreds of thousands of missing kids. But, but yeah, um, I think looking at the school years that are, that this data is, uh, focuses on. So 2019, 2020, so that's when things fell apart and, through 2021, 2022, which is last school year, which for a lot of school systems, at least, you know, my my school district, that was the first year of full in-person. So during those years, I mean, there's still so much tumult that like, I, I personally need to see like data from this school year where things have started to feel a lot more quote unquote regular. Well, like we didn't have the giant Omicron surge like we did last year and, and things just seem to be getting back to some sense of like, normal so i would love to see like in this year well when data for this year becomes available including that to see because you know a lot of these um so-called missing students like i think it might have been a, a a temporary thing for a lot of a lot of the students i know the students that i had during virtual learning who, who didn't really check in and who the school did home visits on this and that like there's one in particular i could think of who like just was not present and um, the school did, I think, two or three home visits, and this, the student was just not not present. But now the student is, and I see the student almost every day, and the student's doing great, and the student's going to graduate. So it's like, I, I, I think we need to maybe just like be patient and wait for uh, further data to become available, further research to become available, um, before we, you know, get real panicked about this idea of millions of missing kids and um so i mean it's that and then and also the the ap version of the story doesn't really get into this very much but the the article from the conversation by thomas d who was one of the uh, researchers here points out that like a really big part of this a third i'll quote from the article it says a third possibility is that the pandemic led more families to have their kids skip kindergarten. Our data indirectly supports this conjecture. The unexplained declines in public school enrollment are concentrated in states that do not require kindergarten attendance like California and Colorado. Uh, California, that's hella kids. So if we're talking about families who maybe skipped kindergarten because for one, it's not legally required. And secondly, all the challenges of the pandemic and then bring their kids back in like, yeah, that that's its own separate challenge. But like, that's not a missing kid. Like, you know, that's a kid who was uh, who stayed home during where they would have been in kindergarten and their parent is now transferring them back into the system. So that's why I say we ought to just be a little more patient because there's a lot of holes in the data, like a lot of holes in the data. And, you know, we need not be too reactionary to this idea of like milk carton missing kids. So that's, that's I don't know, that's, that's how I'm looking at it right now. Yeah, no, I, I'm really glad you said that. And first of all, it's funny because I the article I totally sort of missed the like 
the milk carton pictures at the top. Yeah, man. Because it's it's like a it's like a whole computer screen. I'm look I'm reading the article on my computer, and it's like an entire screen of these milk carton images and headlines. Yeah, thousands of kids are missing from school. Where did they go? And so I just immediately like scroll down to the text. And sort of mentally blocked out, and like nah, man. <laughs> they really do have these images on the top. Like these kids were all just kidnapped. Exactly. You know? And I'm like, I don't mean to make light of the fact that there are it, like even stipulating everything you just said. I think there's probably enough evidence that I'm seeing and hearing, and you know, just here in LA, that like there are some kids who we would expect to still be engaged in school who never came back. I agree right? with that. Um, yeah, and. And that is a, at least a serious question for us to be examining, but that's a whole different thing, especially when the the evidence that they're sh- that they're citing in the article includes kids who were kind of already on the margins and then maybe just dropped out, which is tragic, but like not necessarily a shocking new element in public education, frankly, or kids who didn't yet come to kindergarten. And I'm like, neither of these are like you know, sort of the boogeyman in the closet who stole all the children or something. Right. <laughs> so I appreciate you calling that out. And good clickbait uh, on the part of um, whoever's doing the, <laughs> the headers here at AP. Shout out to you. Um, by the way, this piece in um, AP News was written by Bianca Vasquez-Tones and Sharon Lurie. Wow, I'm, I'm I don't sure know. I slaughtered that. I'm very, very sorry, Sharon. <laughs> but folks can click below to go to the article, and you will see Sharon's, um, you know, byline right at the top. Um, okay, so, uh, yeah, I, I appreciate you you bringing up those angles, man. Well, I definitely had the immediate reaction when reading it about the kindergarten data because, on the one hand, I'm like those aren't quote unquote missing kids, but also. What we should have seen, which to my knowledge, we're not yet see. I haven't seen any reporting of evidence of this. And to my knowledge here in L.A., second largest system in the school or second largest uh, school system in the country, we haven't seen this manifest. But you would think that if over the last three years or really the last that like 1920, 2021, uh, and even even if we give you the 21, 22 school year also, if each of those years there was a decline in kids enrolling in kindergarten, if they were skipping kindergarten and going to first grade, then each of those years we should have seen, or I guess not 1920, but 2021, 21, 22, we should have seen spikes in first grade enrollment. Yeah. To my knowledge, we didn't see those spikes. And then we maybe should have seen this year a spike in both first grade uh, and all three, kinder, first, and second, right? If this is the quote-unquote normal year. And to my knowledge, again, that's not what the data is telling us, right? The data is telling us we're like starting to get back to where we were in 1920. Now, again, my lens on this is very California, and California, because of like the economy and how stupidly expensive it is to live here, we might be on the end of the spectrum where like the rea- and especially like in LA and Los Angeles County more broadly, where it's just so cost prohibitive for families to live, we might be on the part of the spectrum where we're just hemorrhaging kids to other, you know, families had to relocate to 
other districts or, you know, maybe folks moved back to Mexico, let's say, or, you know, they moved out to the desert or, you know, they moved to Arizona or Nevada where property is cheaper and there were more jobs. Right. Or, you know, we might be in we might be the senders in this equation. So we're just seeing loss, but someone else is seeing gain. And we didn't really see any data presented in this article um, that I think uh spoke to that or would give clear evidence about that. But um, but that to me is like, I, I wonder a lot about, you would expect that those weren't necessarily families who were completely opting out of public school. Those are families who were holding back from kindergarten, which means they should be back now, right? Yeah. Um, but are we seeing evidence that they're back? I, I'm not aware of it, at least. Yeah. Um, the other thing is, man, with the, with the older students, Man, well, I also am like, um, you know, to me, it raises some of the question of like, and we, we, you know, we've talked about this before, right? Which is older kids have more agency in the, you know, in the equation. And the question is like the parallel to what was happening in school was the issue of like the social contract, the fragility of the social contract in America, was fully exposed during the pandemic, right? And so things that were tenuous at best before that, right? Before we had folks in the street protesting, you know, police violence, before we had massive unemployment, before we had the bailing out of banks and corporations instead of people, you know, before we had the skyrocketing of housing prices at the same time as wages aren't going up, you know, like, are we seeing some evidence of folks just being like, Listen, the, the, the deal here was supposed to be I go to school, I follow the rules, I do the thing, I get a good job, I'm able to progress economically, right? Or at least maybe maybe if I'm if I even if I come from like a middle class family, I should be able to earn that same type of living, you know, without working a hundred hours a week and grinding myself down to a nub um, by like following the rules. But then we see all this evidence that following the rules doesn't really get you what <laughs> you know what what you're supposed to quote unquote get and so is this a, like i think this is being presented as a symptom of the dysfunction of school which maybe it is but i would also wonder is this a symptom of what's happening in this country in terms of the the degrading of what was already a, you know a a pretty weak social contract to say, you know, follow the rules and you'll get ahead and you'll do all right. Are these the young people who are like, I can already see this stuff ain't going to work out for me. So like, why bother with <laughs> with this experience I'm not enjoying anyways. I'm just going to go do my thing. And we can feel however we want to feel about that. But that's a different thing than like school failed and so we have to fix school you know what i mean right. i'm like which again we probably do need to fix school but like is it bigger than just school i guess is where i'm where i'm getting at yeah and i think that just points to the fact that we don't know like there are so many unanswered questions here so for that reason folks can and will frame it in whatever way they want to frame it and it's certainly you know, I, I mean, to be honest, it's probably a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And especially with the older students, I teach juniors and seniors mostly. And and I could definitely see this, the the um, testimonials painted by the, the AP in their, in their article 
like I could see that. I could absolutely see that as a student who wasn't able to connect and started working and already was so far behind academically. So like, why bother? Like I could totally see that. I could see the kindergarten thing being um, at least having an impact on the data in some kind of way. Although, yeah, they, you know, they should have returned by now, I suppose, um, somewhere. And maybe they have. We don't have data for this year. At least that's not part of this story. So, um, so yeah. And that that's why I guess for me, it's a real like timeout. Uh, obviously, not. I should not say obviously. Hopefully, uh, school districts are doing whatever they can to check in on students that were in there. Um, on their enrollment accounts who aren't there anymore. I know my school has done that a lot over the last several years. Um, so hopefully other schools are doing that and doing their best. And in time, when we have clearer data and a clearer picture painted, we can look back on this and and be able to more, with, with more um, authority, be able to say like, yes, some of the older students who were old enough to work during the pandemic, um, we saw a, such and such percentage decline in their enrollment as uh, the realities of the economic catastrophe around us uh, pushed them into the labor force. Uh, for the school age population, we saw this amount of decline, which over the you know following four or five years uh, re uh, rebounded back. You know, hopefully in time we'll be able to have that kind of clear uh, data so we can really assess the the larger toll of the pandemic. But I just hate thinking back to those times, man. Like I heard a name, I was at school yesterday. I heard an S student was like, do you know so-and-so? And like, I hadn't heard the name in forever cause they were a freshman in my like little homeroom seminar class during the pandemic. So I never met them in person. And that was a class that only met like, you know, once a week. And it was a, uh, you know, brief, it just met briefly online once a week. And of course kids didn't turn on their cameras. And like, I just, it was just, took me right back because I hadn't heard the name since that year because that student went to another high school and then I guess came back, I guess this year, I don't know. But I was like, damn, I think I do, but I don't, but I, I do, but I, I definitely don't because it was pandemic year. But, and it was just like, <laughs> took me right back to just the yeah. the weirdness. I'm not going to lie, man. I've, I've, I should have, I think educators, classroom educators in particular should have uh, journaled through it all. And I should have done that. I, I will admit I buried so many of those memories. I buried it, man. Like, I don't think back to it. I don't sit and like reflect on lessons that I did. During, I just, I just buried it, man. And I know that's not good. It's not healthy. And, um, yeah, man, F the pandemic, man, F distance schooling, all that. That was a, oh, that was a hard time, man. So there's that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, it is, I agree on many levels, man. And I, I think, um, I, while I'm glad there is, you know, reporting, investigating on this, I, I really do, um, you know, it's funny, man, while I was having a conversation this week, my, one of my sisters is a, uh, she works in mental health, uh, at, at, for, at the college level. So she's a college health center, um, therapist. And we were discussing some of the things that she's seeing from uh, like first year and second year college students today and seeing some of the parallel effects that I think a lot of K-12 educators are, are seeing, right? Which is like, wow, the kids like, like this year's, you know, 11th graders seem more like ninth graders, you know, or, or you know, those types of right. um, impacts in terms of like the developmental changes, right? And it, and you know, wondering like, 
what's the response going to be at the college level where colleges are not set up to provide the level of support to say you know a, an 18 or 19 year old that like a 17 or 16 year old would get in high school right which is like way more hands-on and like you still need your mom and your dad like you know really keeping you in line in a different type of way um and so you know i say all that to just say that like this is such a holistic um issue the pandemic and it feels to me like we are talking about how we're gonna fix the kids just through the lens of school. And I understand on some level why we do that because we, you know, school is our primary public institution that works with, you know, with with young people daily. But also like this wasn't just a school pandemic, right? This this had deep emo- psychological emotional effects on kids and families. This had deep effects on housing and and residents and community. This had deep effects on um, employment and, you know, the ripple effects of that across a kid and a family, right? And, like, we're not, it feels to me like we're not um, equally investing in a holistic discussion about the, so how are we going to make sure kids are well cared for on all of these levels? We're sort of, you know, honing in on that part of the conversation through the lens of, like, how do we get them back in school and how do we raise test scores, which, you know, Whatever, even if you want to stipulate that like those are those are good things, it's still just like a piece of the pie, right? Um, and so I, I hope that we can continue to ask these questions in all phases of like human life and community because we're not gonna even if we do the best we can or the best possible thing that could be done in, in education, we're not gonna solve all these problems just in school. Yeah, especially when some of our lead educators take sabbaticals and go overseas for multiple weeks at a time. (laughs) Don't know how schools are going to be the ones to fix all this. You know, I'm, you, you're not helping my uh, my, cap, my capitalist guilt that I am feeling over here, Manuel. For, but it's fun, Jeff. It's fun. For, <laughs> uh, yeah. Yes, yes. Well, this certainly will be an ongoing story uh, to discuss. And I'm certainly looking forward to the next iteration of enrollment data um, that comes out in this this sort of research. Um, that includes this school year because I, 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 don't, I don't know. I mean... Maybe it's just my school side, but things feel like they have gotten considerably back to quote unquote normal as compared to last school year. And our enrollment is actually um, going up, but that's, you know, for other reasons, not pandemic related. But yeah, yeah, definitely more to discuss, more to discuss, more to discuss um, with relation to that. Well, folks, this has been a passing period that might have to stick for a minute. You know, this passing period might extend a little longer than the average passing period in terms of, you know, um, in your podcast feed. But we'll be back at you when when the time is right with some more passive periods and some more full episodes. We already have some guests scheduled and on deck for later on this spring who are going to help us dive deeper into all of the complexities of the school system. So definitely look forward to that. Definitely check out um, everything in the feed from like before whenever you happen across our show because um the 
the, the crates are, are very deep and significant with regards to how many different guests and topics we've discussed. So definitely go through all that. If you are listening to this before the Super Bowl, just know I hope both teams lose. And if you are a Beyonce fan, I hope you got tickets to the show. And that's that on that. Anything else, Jeff, before we get up out of here? Shout out to Patrick Mahomes, uh, son of the twins legend, Pat Mahomes, uh, yeah. who I will officially be rooting for on Sunday. Hey, I also am rooting for Patrick Mahomes this Sunday, mostly because I'm salty about how how the Niners lost against the Eagles. I got nothing against the Eagles, but I'm just salty about how it went down. And Patrick Mahomes' dad, man, I don't know if you saw that post-game um, interview with not interview but when they sure talked to him it was like smoking on that joe burrow oh man that was so funny that his that was hilarious you know i'm smoking on that yeah, joe burrow that was great that was great uh i think that was the, that must have been after they released the results of the paternity test uh, that the cincinnati mayor was talking about oh yeah exactly there you man that that's what they get man that's yeah like you don't yeah anyways i feel for cincinnati fans but i gotta say man they were kind of asking for it, um, talking that trash that they were talking. So, so there's that. All right, folks, this isn't a sports podcast. Um, enjoy your week. Remember, we love y'all. Hang in there. Keep on fighting the good fight. And now it's time for you to go ahead and get to class.